welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, and feed thee, or thirsty, and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger, and welcome thee, or naked, and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick, or in prison, and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I welcome you on this uh, uh, day of the convergence of many things. Uh, November 11th, Veterans Day. November 11th, Armistice Day. November 11th, the day of observance for a lesser known saint of the church, St. Martin of Tours but uh, a man whose name and story you ought know for the uh, fulfilling and the completeness of your uh, knowledge of the faith. I want to begin, though, with a quotation not from Scripture, uh, but from a rather unlikely source, I suspect. It is from a letter that George Washington, that George Washington, uh, wrote to the Virginia governor, Dinwiddie, uh, in the year 1756, so prior to uh, the Declaration of Independence. And as the uh, uh, colonies were thinking toward uh, the eventuality of nationhood and all that that would imply, Washington wrote to the governor, the want, as in lack of, the want of a chaplain does, I humbly uh, conceive, reflect dishonor upon the regiment, as all other officers are allowed The gentlemen of the corps are sensible of this and did propose to support one from their 
private expense. But I think it would have a more graceful appearance were he appointed as other officers are. Well, this gives us uh, a starting point uh, in terms of a national holiday, national observance, so that we can see that from the present day back to the, well, before the actual founding of the nation, the men and now women of the armed forces have been provided a specific resource uh, in the accomplishment of their duties. That resource was spiritual in nature. The resource came in the form of chaplains, trained and insightful into the profession of arms and the realities attendant thereto. As in all endeavors, I suppose there were some that were better than others, uh, but as you have heard from his letter to the Virginia governor, George Washington, contemplating what lie ahead, understood the importance of the provision of spiritual care for those experiencing the rigors of military life. Now that understanding continues to this day. Chaplains are pastors and priests, rabbis and other spiritual leaders whose ministry it is to accompany this nation, nation's armed forces wherever they go. And for benefit of those listening by radio or by podcast, I need to briefly share what I think most of you have read by now in the bulletin. And that is the origin of the office of chaplain goes back much farther than George Washington. Indeed, the origin of the office of chaplain and the name chapel itself has a very specific and a very Christian origin. Now, whether by providence or divine intention, November 11th, today, was not always observed as Veterans Day. And even before it was observed as Armistice Day, this day, the 11th day of the 11th month, as for centuries, and was formerly known uh, among those as St. Martin's Day. St. Martin's Day. And so, though we think of it primarily now in contemporary life as Veterans Day, Armistice Day in Europe, the day marking the end of once was idealistically referred to as the war to end all wars, later known as World War I, uh, we, uh, uh, we need to look farther, deeper into our history, our Christian history. November 11th was the feast day of a relatively unknown man of God. That man's name is Martin, now known as Martin of Tours. Tours is a location in France. Martin, the name of a Roman soldier who was born in about the year 316. Some say a little later than that, but about in the early to mid-300s. So, again, about the time of the Christian church's spread around the Mediterranean, up into Europe. The Christian church, at that time of his birth and his life, Martin's life, was still growing and coming to understand itself. Busy writing creeds, 
combating heresy. The church by this time had been severely persecuted already and blamed by Roman emperors, including Nero, for all manner of crimes. But in spite of that, the church continued to grow. Missionaries were spreading out beyond the original apostles, second and third and fourth generations, spreading out with the word of God, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And interestingly, discovered that converts to the faith were to be found even within the ranks of the Roman army. Caesar's legions were exposed to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And when they compared what Jesus taught to the frank immorality and the depravity of Rome's ruling class, these soldiers found Jesus' message powerfully appealing. Now, one such soldier, he who we're remembering today, was named Martin, born into Roman nobility. Uh, His father was a tribune. Martin was, as many were, exposed to the basic concepts of Christianity, he at a young age, but not from a confessing family of Christians, to be sure. He, as he got older, 16, 18 years old, uh, enlisted in the Roman army, as was expected of a child of nobility, he became a cavalry officer. Martin was on patrol, history now records, one wintry day. And while on patrol, Martin encountered a shivering, ill-clad beggar at a city gate. There were many in those days. And what a stark contrast this malnourished beggar must have presented between himself and the young, tall, straight Roman officer astride his mount with glistening armor and a distinctive red woolen cape, shoulders to floor length, called a chapelle. The difference must have been quite stark and dramatic, but even more amazing, I'm going to suggest, likely in the eyes of Martin's soldiers, would have been the sight of Martin dismounting his horse, approaching the shivering beggar, drawing his close-quarters combat weapon, the feared short sword known as a gladius, as he stood over the cowering man. (laughs) What was he about to do, this 18, 20-year-old, the Roman, the officer, who held all the cards, life and death? I'm sure the curiosity of his troops must have been piqued. But to the amazement of his men, Martin removed his own red cape and cut it with that sword into two halves. He gave one half to the beggar and then remounted his horse wearing the other half. Now, Can you imagine the gossip among the enlisted ranks that must have taken place after such an unexpected act of charity 
on the part of a Roman officer. Well, soon thereafter, as Martin slept one night, he had a dream. Maybe it was a vision. I don't know. But what Martin saw was Jesus of the Christian faith in his heaven. And what Martin saw was that same Jesus was wearing the half cape with which Martin had wrapped the shivering beggar. So powerful was this vision. So moved was Martin by it, that he sought to resign his military commission, that he might pursue this vision that he had. Well, resigning from the Roman army was not easily done in them days, but eventually Martin was allowed to return to civilian life. But only after he had volunteered to accompany his soldiers into battle next, but to do so unarmed. As a veteran, Martin then came to study under St. Hilary and live in a city called Tours in France. That's his name. There Martin became a priest and then a bishop. Martin established a monastery whose ruins still remain in France. Perhaps using some of his military organizational skills, Martin also created a system of parishes that he might better manage the churches under his charge. Martin specifically opposed paganism, druids in particular. Martin of Tours went on in time to become the patron of the poor, the beggar, conscientious objectors, for he would no longer lift the sword, the military, for he served as an officer. And interestingly, or maybe not, uh, the patron saint of winemakers. Now, Martin's by then famous chapelle came into the possession of the French kings who carried superstitious as they were, remember we're talking 4th century, carried the relic into battle with them. They placed over in charge of the robe a priest, and the priest charged with care of the chapelle was called the chapelanu. And the small tents or churches where the capes came to be kept, known as chapels, or in time, chapels. And over time, the priests who served in the military became known as the chaplains. Now, the German reformer Martin Luther, in the 16th century, was named after St. Martin of Tours. That's why he was named Martin. Not a family name, but the name of his patron saint. Martin Luther was born on November 10th, the eve of St. Martin's Day, November 11th. And so on this convergence of so many uh, threads of history on November 11th, as we approach the 11 o'clock hour, 2018, 100 years after the end of the First World War, 
the eve or the the day of St. Martin, what are we to take away from this? First, I submit to you that Jesus' words in Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter, are worthy of being believed. The blessed of God, which Jesus saw on that day when the Son of Man comes, would certainly include those who fed the hungry and clothed the naked. When Jesus said to the blessed of the Father, I was naked and you clothed me, he was speaking to the Martins in a world that included those under arms. Our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen, our marines. Luther recognized this. Luther saw this. It was evident. I'm sure he had spent significant time considering Martin of Tours. After all, it was named for him. Evidence of that. In 16th century now, so from the 4th to the 16th century, Martin Luther was questioned by a knight during the bloody years following the Reformation. Can soldiers too be saved? Asa von Krem was his name. We have the letter. After what he had seen, after what he had done, was there any hope of salvation for one such as he, a man of arms, a soldier? In response, Luther wrote a letter back to him and said the vocation of the soldier, in Luther's estimation, was indeed to serve God by helping maintain order in a disorderly and sinful world. Such a calling, Luther said, was quite in line with the words of St. Paul in his letter to the Romans. You can read it in chapter 13. The price of being a warrior, however, could be high, for it could require an act of the greatest love. Recall what Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. Third, not only do the demands of the vocation of warriors stress family and societal ties for the warrior, but they exact a sometimes devastating toll and an emotional toll and a spiritual toll upon the well-being of those who serve. And I don't remember when, but it was some point along the way in my chaplaincy with the VA that I came to the conclusion that no one who is trained in the arts of war can be so trained and not changed. But more importantly, I concluded that there's no one who comes back from war and does not come back in some way wounded. Just as each period of war is recognizable by its signature wounds, I think it is incumbent upon the church to recognize that some wounds are spiritual in nature, some wounds are moral in nature, and such wounds, spiritual and moral, demand a spiritual and moral remedy to them. Moving still farther forward in time, it was the Civil War General William Tecumseh Sherman who observed, War is brutality. It cannot be refined. World War I, 100 years ago, known by its first use of poison gas, the technology of the machine gun, trench warfare, barbed wire, armor and tanks. 
In these latter times now, the signature wound with which we will be most uh, acquainted and exposed to will be post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. And these can haunt our military veterans long after their uniforms have been put away. Thus, (laughs) thus, the role of the chaplain, but also of the congregation, the role of the church. Jesus set the agenda for all of us with the words, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus' words in Matthew 25, therefore empower and energize you all, us, our congregation in particular, as we attempt here in this place and in this time to minister to America's Armed Forces veterans at our local VA. You, me, our kids are making differences, I tell you, in the lives of the sick, the lonely, And yes, the dying. I have seen it with my own eyes. Lena, you have seen it with your own eyes. We sit them right here in the front of the church and we explain this very carefully to the children of our Wednesday after school blast program. That while other organizations might visit and do good things at the VA, we are the ones whom God has called. Jesus just reminded us of it, to go there in his name. We go in Jesus' name. And that makes us different. That places these children, your kids, your grandkids, my grandkids, us, at the right hand of God when the Son of Man appears. I invite you to think upon that and think about this as, check my watch, the 11th hour of the 11th day of this 11th month now approaches. Think about that as the war to end all wars ended 100 years ago today. Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.